You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech, where we sneak into bedroom studios and unplug the plugins and plug in the robots and get 1 million likes on TikTok while downloading legal samples and reposting Vine compilations on YouTube, where we hand out podcast episodes on CDRs at Times Square and publish trading cards about the seismic shifts that our guests have helped us flesh out leading up to next week's Music Tectonics Conference. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We are a PR firm that works in music and tech and music tech. And I'm super pumped to have my buddy, Kevin Bruner, VP of Marketing from CD Baby on the podcast. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, psyched to have you on the podcast. Psyched that you guys are coming out for Music Tectonics in a few days. And uh, you and I haven't done a podcast yet, even though you have definitely influenced my thinking around music tech and innovations in music. So it's cool to have you here. Well, I've had you on my podcast, but you you haven't had me on yours. This is the first time. That's true. I've been on the DIY Musician podcast, which if our listeners have not checked it out, it's, it's a great, great podcast. Very practical stuff and very up to date. Um, and you've got like a zillion episodes. How many episodes have you done? 241. Nice. That's very, very cool. Um, and, and in fact, you're an inspiration, Kevin. I mean, you know, oh, wow. how much, how much uh, excitement energy you get from doing the podcast was definitely um, a factor in me deciding to do this one. So, so listen, we're, we're coming up on Music Tectonics. You guys are coming in big with uh, going to have an exhibit. Several of your folks are speaking there. You're going to be on a, um, a session specifically on our podcast episode topic, which is about how independent artists are changing everything in the music industry. So let's just jump in. How are self-empowered artists changing the entire dy dynamic of the music industry, even for labels? Well, I think one major shift that you've seen is that uh, no longer are labels dictating the music that the masses are enjoying. Uh, independent music is making up, I think the last numbers I saw were like 40 some percent of consumption now. And so I remember growing up and it was like, everyone was listening to the same 10, 20 artists at the same time, or the, you know, the top 40 that were out there. But now the, because of independent artists, the listening audience is so fractured. And at any one time you, you might have a popular artist on a label that, uh, you know, you go to work and nobody even has heard about them where, uh, they have got their own little niche, uh, genres that they focus on and listen to and that's their world and the rest of it they never even see so it's really interesting to see how music and how people find new bands and new artists and how uh diminished the impact of mainstream artists seems to be that are you know how much harder the labels seem to have to work to really penetrate that superstar stratosphere because we're all listening to what we want to listen to instead of what they dictate to us yeah, it's interesting. Like there was a point at which record labels um, would develop kind of a following in a scene and you could follow a record label to kind of know that you're going to find something that you like. It's within a genre or scene that you're interested in and you could follow that. And that was kind of like a path. Also radio stations too, obviously, were another one. A lot of radio stations had a specific genre based format um, and many still do. Um, they're not dead yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but I hadn't checked in a while, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can still turn on the radio. It's true. Um, even in a car. Um, but, but, uh, it, you know, now it seems like 
entire platforms like streaming services or platforms or artist services, things like that will sometimes bubble up with a particular scene or, or genre as well. And if you're say a SoundCloud listener versus a Bandcamp listener versus following the Apple Music editorial stuff, you might be listening to totally different stuff in those platforms as well. Yeah, I mean, real realistically, the music business has really always been about curation, whether it's been the A&R guy curating the roster for the label and that label becoming known for the type of music that they put out to uh, the indie label now, uh, you know, went through a period where that's where you've had the diehard fans of particular genres, which that still exists. And then that has just moved to playlist and, and it's on radio. It's a lot of it's just where we curate music and who's doing the curation and really opening up the ability for people to make collections of music that isn't dictated by just a couple sources of uh, mainstream media. Right. So it's really about the fact that artists are not being slowed down to put things out because they don't necessarily need a record deal. It's they're, they're just going direct and building audiences on their own and they don't need to rely on a radio curator. They don't need to rely on a label and our person. They're literally just putting it out there and building a scene. Yeah. We've seen that a lot where we, you know, the, the cool thing about where we're at in the music business is that um, for a time it was like, you might look at another artist. Like when I got into music, I went to college in Nashville and very competitive place, especially this was the, the 90s, very competitive place. All these people showing up, trying to get their shot, getting the attention of a label. So you look at other artists as competition. But where we're at now, you should be looking at other artists as uh, partners. People, especially in your scene, they're partners because the more you work together and build audiences together, especially if you have similar genres, there's more opportunities for you to work together, do shows together, build uh, sharing each other's audiences, build playlists, sort of get the scene known on a broader, uh, you know, level. And those tools exist for artists to make that happen without anyone else's help. Sure, there's times when that help is appreciated and needed, but there's nothing stopping you from accessing fans. Uh, usually it's just an artist's own creativity in how they present themselves and message themselves and work together with other people in their scene that uh, gets in the way from them uh, building that broader audience. You know, that's interesting. You talk about almost like a collective approach and CD Baby represents something like 750,000 artists for not only distribution, but also publishing administration and sync and other things. How does having so many indie artists under one roof influence negotiating power versus if those artists were just standing on their own? Well, I think one thing we see is we see a lot of trends that most people don't see. And uh, oftentimes, you know, especially in the tech world, uh, they make these broad assumptions about who artists are. And a lot of times they think artists are uh, on the cutting edge of technology. They're super sophisticated when it comes to computers and all this stuff. And, and that they're just, you know, uh, leading edge technologists, where in fact, that's really not who the average artist is. Yes, technology is used in the creation of music. And, and we see artists um, uh, using technology to make music, but as far as like how they pursue their career and, and their knowledge and of, you know, what they want to do, they want to be making music. They don't want to be, you know, uh, technologists. And so a lot of times when we go into 
uh, negotiating with a partner, especially on the technology side, they often just have a total misconception of who artists are and that artists will want to use this app. Artists will want to do this thing. And usually a lot of times we spend educating partners with like, no, that's not who the artist community is. They're not um, wanting to do all these in-depth, in-the-weeds management things on their own. There are certain things that they want to do, but a lot of times there is just this knowledge we see in patterns because you have so many users. And on the bigger like DSP side, there's the ability to represent a giant collective, a big catalog, people that, um, you know, when you have our catalog, you have a very diverse catalog, lots of music that spans many, many years. Um, I think on the sync side, it's been really cool to see that people come to us because we have so much music that is original to the 60s or the 70s, or they have this really niche instrument that they're trying to find, or they've got this, you know, new hot hip hop artist that uh, hasn't been discovered yet that uh, is on the rise. And we've got that too. So it's like our catalog is so vast and diverse that it really helps, uh, you know, when we're talking to people that they, they want our music because there's a lot of variety in there. It's not just one thing. It's interesting. Um, you, you talked a lot about the sync side, but even on the um, streaming side, it, it, Spotify has been kind of uh, dropping some information over the last year or two saying that um, the more the more diverse uh, tracks there are available to listeners, the more people will listen and the more people are listening, which is kind of an interesting, uh, not necessarily about negotiating power, but interesting aspect of what you were talking about with the kind of the depth and diversity of what indie artist catalogs can offer. Well, that's one thing that we saw when, you know, streaming really was adopted in the U.S., you know, like two years, three years ago. What we started seeing was that uh, the floor, which, you know, the average artist, the floor of the seal of the floor of the streaming that they were getting, you know, like an average title just sitting out there in our catalog was higher than I was expecting, meaning uh, titles were getting more streams than. I originally anticipated that we'd see. We thought we'd see more titles getting just nothing. And there are certainly some titles struggling to find an audience. But on average, we saw the streaming, the people discovering tracks and artists and music much higher than especially the industry was predicting it would be. And that just continues to grow, especially as more territories open up. We just uh, did a deal with Tencent, so our catalog's going to be in China and just really excited to see how just making all our tracks available to a billion more people impact streaming and, uh, influence, you know, the reach of our artists. But yeah, there's just, just natural growth that's happening. And I think one thing that I credit Spotify for is they really proved out the concept that listening to music can be fundamentally different in a streaming world where we had the download era. And then a lot of the early streaming platforms were still treating streams like they were downloads where Spotify really started using the platform to push music to individuals uh, with things like Release Radar, Discover Weekly, and really getting more music in front of their users. Because ultimately, if people aren't engaged with their platform, they'll probably unsubscribe. So they really want them to feel like, oh, this is an engaging experience. And so it's really benefited independent artists. And especially in international territories where we have so many artists and really uh, top artists in their uh, geography that uh, it's really been a great opportunity for us to merchandise those artists on streaming platforms, um, whether it be in Latin America or places in Europe or, you know, all over. And uh, it's actually uh, a lot easier to 
get our catalog in those places because we have so much good content in those areas and the streaming platforms need local content in order to keep the local audience engaged. Interesting. So earlier in this podcast, we were talking a little bit about um, artists building their own scenes and not necessarily needing to rely on traditional industry gatekeepers. Since you've come across so many artist careers through the podcast, through your blog, the DIY Musician blog, I know you guys get a lot of comments and engagement there, your newsletter, your services. Are you, are you seeing um, kind of interesting examples of indie artists who've leapfrogged gatekeepers of the past, maybe not just labels, but booking agents, touring promoters, sync press. What are you seeing there? Yeah. I mean, there's so many interesting stories and, and things that pop up. You're like, wow, I never even thought that was possible. Hmm. Uh, one, one that pops to my mind when you said that, uh, Simon Tam, I don't know if you've had him on your podcast. Not yet. Uh, he spoke at the DIY musician conference this past summer and his band, the slants, they went, you know, they've, kind of became known for going all the way to the Supreme Court over a battle of trademarking their name. But uh, they kind of built their whole audience on playing anime conventions. It was just something that um, they got connected with, and that was the audience that really was paying well, and they they're almost all their schedule was playing anime conventions. Now that they've gone to the Supreme Court, he's, he says that they spend a lot of time playing uh, at lawyer conventions now, which is a totally different audience. <laughs> but oftentimes what what we we see is that the audience is based on a different point of commonality or interest based that that artist sort of plays into that interest and builds an audience around it. We've seen that in the video game world as well. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but video game cover songs is huge and there's this subculture around it and if you're somebody that does that you can build an audience playing directly with those people um it's something that the mainstream would never even pay attention to so we see examples of that all the time but we also see just examples of an artist writing great music and being a great communicator and all the tools are available to you online to communicate with an audience and so i think part of it is that 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 great communicator piece that's what the internet has allowed for us to do if you're a great communicator and are natural in front of a camera or a good writer there's easy ways for you to be interesting and tell a story and draw people in that don't require the big budget of a of a record company and a gatekeeper uh, deciding whether or not your music's good enough um that's actually you know my story was i was on a major label with our my band small town poets and that was a big frustrating thing for me, especially when we were going into our second album. Our first album had a lot of success. We we're nominated for a Grammy and sold quite well. And then there was just a couple guys standing in the recording studio decide, telling us that, no, that song's not any good. This song's, I'm like, why don't we just put it out and let the people decide? Hmm. <laughs> let them decide, get the music to the audience. And I think that's where we're at now, where it's just, especially the way people are releasing music, it's like, put a song out there. If it does well, great. Put another one out there. If it doesn't, keep learning from what's what's happening and how people are engaging with it and keep putting music out there because um, 
there's so many different things that people latch onto, and oftentimes success comes from surprising places. You know, that, that's interesting. I, I, I feel like there's a trend that, that I always thought that you guys saw before a lot of other companies in the music industry, and that's redefining who's the audience and who's the creator. The kind of experimentation that you're talking about seems like it could be like a grassroots kind of experimentation. I think a lot of longstanding labels saw self-distributed musicians as, quote, not good enough for a label deal, but CD Baby saw that there was this class of musicians that kind of torn down, sort of torn down the wall between the music maker and the audience. And I'm curious if you can talk about the line between artists an audience and where you see that line going now and in the future well the the for certain kinds of music that uh, that line has become very blurred um i think there's some great things artists are doing now to get their fans involved with uh sort of the creation process whether it's helping them create videos around music like and then picking which one's going to be the official music video or releasing stems and letting artists play with the tracks and recreate their own versions of the song based on those tracks. Those are things that scare the pants off record companies, mm. uh, letting the fans feel ownership and control and to create with what you've made. That's um, something that has definitely been pioneered in the independent world as far as just letting fans have access and participation you know there's still always this thing you know like i said it depends on different genres like in the edm world this is this is old news you know people will remix stuff all the time um but in the rock world and the pop world this is something that i've seen more and more artists experiment with like uh releasing karaoke tracks or the stems or uh letting their fans create the videos and things like that where um i'm gonna trust you the audience and I'm going to empower you. And this is going to be something that we do together. And that's a different mindset. And I think, you know, where we're at in the music business, those pieces are the things that keep uh, fans engaged. There's so much content flying at us every day. And the trick is keeping people engaged for the long term, at least long enough that you make an impact. And I think some of those things take it deeper where they're experiencing you and they're not just passively listening. And, you know, music is used more than ever uh, before in the history of the planet. And you, you, it's hard to even go anyplace and not have music in the background somewhere. So there's a lot of passive listening happening. But really getting that engagement, I think, is what's key. And, and thinking about how I involve fans beyond just, here's a track, go listen to it. It's funny, as, as I asked that question, you totally answered the question, but I was picturing something totally different, which is the idea that there was a performer and there's an audience, and now it seems like the audience can also be the performer. And, uh, and that seems like something that CD Baby saw early because people were self-releasing, even if they were brand new to music and, and things like that. But I think you brought up a, a really great point about the interaction, the engagement of fan in the creation process, which I also think is an important seismic shift. Yeah, it, it's something that I think is going to continue to be um, a part of how artists plan releases in the future. I think also a big shift that is definitely happening uh, at the indie level, I think, to a much higher degree than the, the, than the mainstream market allows, is just general collaboration in general. The idea that I'm in a band and that's what I do, or I'm a solo artist and this is all I do, but the idea that I'm going to go collaborate with that person and that person and that person. We're going to do a track with over there. And all these things help uh, elevate 
not just the community because they can all be very divergent projects, but the idea that it's about creating and releasing and getting things out there that people can hear and uh, not just big marketing campaigns, uh, hyping uh, stuff. It's like as an artist, you want to create, get better at creating and put more and interesting things out there into the world and build a catalog, really. I think a lot of it just continues to point to that it's not about one piece of content that's a hit. It's about a catalog that builds over time that people like to enjoy and listen to and go back to over and over again. Yeah, that's interesting because it seems like a lot of people when they're seeking huge success in music, they're looking for what the formula is to have that hit song or that hit album or that hit career. And uh, what you described sounds more like what any artist would be sort of doing on their own, which is just kind of building their art, pulling the string of curiosity and continuing to make stuff, collaborate with other artists and that sort of thing, um, which makes a ton of sense. And it seems very consistent with the DIY kind of ethic of just keep producing, keep, you know, keep meeting people and interacting with them and getting to know them through music and things like that. So I want to shift gears a little bit as we get closer to the music tecton uh, tectonics conference in just a few days, I would like to ask you about the music tech scene. What does the artist facing music tech startup scene look like for you? Is there anything that you're excited about? Um, just curious to get your take on it. It's interesting because we, it seems like we go through these waves where there's a ton of new apps and things and, and that you're hearing about. And then it, it gets, seems to get a little quiet and then another wave starts. I feel like we're on the beginning of another wave. Um, it, the, some of the new things that I've seen that have been interesting have been around collaboration and allowing people to um, uh, find other artists and record for them or record with them. And, uh, you know, so I think there's a lot of interesting things happening in that space you know, there's always, um, you know, I love, I love where Instagram has come where with stories, how people are able to create and drop a track in. If, you know, if you, if you CD baby for distribution, your music is in Instagram stories. And I love seeing how people are taking those tracks and making their videos or telling a story using music for their friends. So I think a lot of the interactions, um, that people are going to be able to take online continue to use music and create their own personal expression with songs that they like. I'm always excited about that. Um, you know, there's still a lot of, of work to do on some front of just like bringing some of the tech tech world up to speed on the rights that they should be paying around music. And sometimes that's the big holdup for, um, for innovation incorporating music because there was a time when a lot of the tech world just thought music was free. Right. And uh, it was kind of like, what? These have rights? Um, and so, you know, that 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 plays into what what happens out there and the kind of innovations that are happening. I think there's some still lots of cool things that can happen with artists booking shows and finding other artists to do show swaps with and and simplifying uh, some of those processes that, uh, you know, seem to be really uh, laborious for an artist to to go through and, you know just to make things happen. Yeah, you bring up a couple of things that we're going to be talking about at the Music Tectonics Conference. Um, you know, Spotify just acquired recently this uh, music production marketplace, Sound Better. And uh, one of the lead guys on that acquisition, Jay Herskowitz, is going to be on a panel along with uh, Mike Gubman from Pandora, uh, Marisol Siegel from AEG, and uh, Angel Gambino from Napster are all going to be talking about what 
you know, what partnerships look like with streaming services. But, um, but that's interesting that you bring up the collaboration piece as kind of a thing that you think we're on the front end of, of that, seeing that sound, uh, Spotify just made that acquisition. And then you talked about rights and the importance of the, the licenses necessary to have a music streaming or any kind of uh, technology platform that's using music. And uh, CD Baby CEO Tracy Maddox is on a, a panel along with um, reps from both Universal Music and Warner Music, specifically about how um, how, how startups can work with major labels and distributors. Um, so we'll be talking about that kind of stuff. So it's, it's cool that you're, you're thinking about that as well. Ho- hopefully we've programmed the right, right things there. <laughs> and the sharing thing, like what you're talking about with Instagram and, and just how music is, is kind of finally getting integrated back into the social, social media, social network experience. I mean, forever, everyone was, was sort of like wondering where's the social media music app. I mean, nothing really ever replaced MySpace. you know, Apple tried, Spotify tried. And what's interesting is those social media platforms, Instagram and, and Facebook, and, and of course, YouTube's already had it for a long time, have more kind of features that are are music friendly and um and of course we haven't even brought up TikTok which i think the whole licensing world is still trying to sort out what that looks like but you're seeing music discovery in a social type setting rather than purely in a music streaming setting um which is kind of cool to see yeah and i think a lot of those those areas of growth are areas where the user is getting to use the music and create in a seamless way where they're telling their own story. And music is a big piece of everyone's individual story. And, you know, a a lot of times there's some bigger cultural significance and storylines as well. But, you know, those things are the things that excite me. A a few years back, um, you know, we kind of, like I said, we kind of go through these waves and it's like thinking, okay, what's next? I mean, it feels like, yeah, we're in a streaming world. Things are kind of slowing down as far as new opportunities for music. And then, you know, Instagram stories started taking off and really a different way people are using social media and creating and telling a story. And I think, okay, yeah, now we, I see where we're able to pull music in and users making it easier for users to use that. Where in the past, there was some apps that tried things like that, but a lot of the rights issues became a problem or they were trying to charge the user a download fee for to add the track. And that just wasn't going to be something users would do long-term. But I think we're on this idea that music is something that people naturally think they can collaborate with as, as they create their own content. Um, and, you know, the, it takes a lot of buy-in from the major labels in some areas because, you know, when there's ownership and you're sort of sharing ownership with uh, a, a user when they create their new thing, there's a lot of rights implications. And, uh, you know, it's it's a, a fine line to walk. So um, you guys have a whole stack of, stack of services at this point. I think a lot of people who knew CD Baby from the beginning saw it as a distribution company. And maybe they heard that you've added publishing administration and sync and other marketing tools. I don't know. Are there any other pieces of CD Baby that you think a lot of people in the kind of music, music tech worlds may not realize you guys offer? Yeah, I mean, th- there's there's multiple brands we have internally um, you know, CD Baby is our our main distribution brand um, under the AVL Digital, which is our parent company that that houses all the the brands we have here on, in Portland and on the West Coast. We have AdRev, we have Dashco, which is a label services brand. We have um, SoundDrop, which is a distribution platform that caters towards uh, YouTubers and the constant creator and and the uh, uh, 
the, that video game world. A lot of those people are, are using that platform. And then we have our marketing platform at show.co, which is really something I'm excited about because, you know, distribution has become a commodity a bit. I still think we do it better than, than anyone else, but uh, it's become a bit of a commodity. Um, but what artists are always asking us for is promotion services. And so uh, we acquired a marketing platform called show.co a couple years back and have been building on it and iterating on it. And it does, allows you to do some really unique uh, landing page, uh, you know, create these campaigns around landing pages designed to get a fan to take a specific action. So it'll do a Spotify pre-save. It does um, email exchange for download. You can use it to do a video premiere. There's all sorts of different things you can do, but it's geared around a specific call to action. And then the other cool piece that we're building on it, and part of it's already live, is an ad platform where then you can go retarget those fans. So the idea is that you can target fans that you know have taken a specific action. So, you know, uh, we're still talking very broadly in most cases to fans where we're like, go get my music on Spotify. Well, what if half your fans aren't on Spotify? It'd be nice if you send the other fans a message that speaks to them as well. So this tool will allow you to target the right audience based on specific actions. And then you can, uh, you know, follow conversions and, and you know, keep keep uh, uh, building audiences based on user activity. That's cool because it allows the artist to do that rather than do it within purely within somebody else's platform that you then have to pay to access. <laughs> yeah, so then you would own the audience. That's the cool thing as opposed to using Facebook, which I love Facebook for advertising, but at the end of the day, Facebook owns my audience. There's no way for me to export those emails unless I get them to take an action outside of Facebook. So yeah, so there's great opportunities on some of those platforms, but at the end of the day, they own your audience. Um, so this will allow uh, you, the user, the artist, the label, the manager to own the audience. And so the work you put into building it, uh, you get to keep. So um, as we get close to wrapping up here, Kevin, are there any other kind of ideas that you'd love to see that startups uh, create uh, in the, in kind of the music tech space and the, uh, you know, the artists uh, promotion space? I mean, we've got listeners probably who are either founders of startups or considering it. Maybe they're designers or developers who are looking for the right thing for market fit. From your perspective, is there anything that you're like, this is a, I mean, you mentioned booking platforms as well. Is there anything else that is sort of like a hole out there that you think there's an opportunity? Well, I think we're just on the the front end of the whole streaming paradigm. And while I think Spotify has proven out how music consumption can be fundamentally different and curation is a big piece, I don't think they've perfected it. I don't think anyone has yet. I still think there's lots of opportunity to see how users want to engage with music and incorporate other parts of their lives in, in things like video and uh, photos and being able to share those things. I still think there's lots of opportunity um, to bring those pieces of how people want to interact with music together in an interesting way that could uh, have uh, a lot of adoption. I don't have any specific ideas around that, but I see, you know, if, if people think 10 years from now, it's still just going to be a Spotify game, I think they're mistaken. 
Cool. So um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I'm excited that you are one of the panelists on our session titled Independent Era, How Self-Empowered Artists Are Changing the Entire Music Industry. Um, you'll be joined by Abe Batchin from BeatStars, the CEO and founder, Molly Newman from Song Trust. She's the global head of business development. And Helen Sartori from The Rattle LA, head of growth. She's uh, They're opening up a new kind of artist and tech incubator in LA. And that'll be moderated by David Hazen from Medium. Um, Really appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking about some of this stuff. Just as we wrap up, what what are you looking for when you go to a conference like Music Tectonics? A conference like Music Tectonics, what I'm always looking for is people with interesting ideas, some companies that either I didn't know existed or I hadn't had to meet yet. Um, better connection and understanding of what we're all working on and doing. Um, those those are typically the things I'm looking for, and and ideas and trends uh, that there's a lot of. Uh, things people are talking about it's like what's top of mind what are the things that people are thinking about that i think are important what are things people are talking about that i think is just a total misdirection and misunderstanding of audiences especially artists so i, I just it's kind of just a way to get a pulse on what the community especially as it relates to technology and music are, are thinking about so i always walk away with a head full of ideas and and thoughts and and usually have met some great new friends and important business connections. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show and thanks for uh, coming out and supporting Music Tectonics. Kevin, I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of days. Absolutely. I'm not going to turn down some LA sunshine. <laughs> no doubt. And thank you for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Music Tectonics, the conference, come to musictectonics.com. Um, we are kicking off with a pre-conference in downtown LA on October 28th with lots of networking opportunities. We're doing our opening reception at the Warner Music Group's new office, downtown LA, um, which will be lots of fun. And then on the 29th, we've got a full day of programming at the Skirball Cultural Center. Um, it's a beautiful spot in LA, easy to get to free parking so if you haven't signed up for music tectonics now this is if you're listening right as you get this notification this is pretty much your last chance musictectonics.com um, sign up for our newsletter you get a 50 dollars discount hope you can make it and uh hope you can come out and see kevin and the rest of the cd baby crew there we'll see you soon You're listening to Music Tectonics.